Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Damien Barr, welcoming you to another Salon Exclusive, where you get to be the first to hear about the upcoming books that we are most excited about. Today, we're featuring another debut novel, because we love debuts. The final revival of Opal and Nev is by Donnie Walton. The New York Times is so excited about this book that they mixed metaphors, saying it's a packed time capsule that doubles as a stick of dynamite. So the novel is told through an oral history of a fictional rock and roll duo called Opal Duo, which is composed of Opal, an Afro-punk star on the rise, and Nev, a British punk rocker in search of the yin to his yang. Their band shoots to cult fame in 1970s New York, but when a rival band signed to their label brandishes a Confederate flag at a promotional concert, the night ends in tragedy and the two split and are never the same again. Decades later, a music journalist called Sonny covers the story of Opal and Nev's reunion concert, but they uncover a controversy that could threaten the comeback. And Sonny has some hidden motives of her own. Hello. I'm Donnie Walton, and I am so excited to be reading from my new novel, The Final Revival of Opal and Nev, for listeners of Damien Barr's Literary Salon. In the portion of the book I'll be reading, singer-songwriter Nev Charles is on a small U.S. tour to support his solo debut album, which was basically a flop. The owner of Nev's record label, Howie Kelly, has the thought to copy the success of the Rolling Stones' Gimme Shelter by pairing Nev with a Black American female vocalist. And so every night, after Nev's sad little shows, they head over to the Black clubs in different cities to search for Nev's match. In this scene, they're in Detroit, where they meet the woman who'll change their fortunes. Now this is a book of many voices, which means I have to ask that you please excuse my terrible attempts at various accents. On April 11th, 1970, Nev Charles and Howie Kelly visited amateur night at a popular nightclub on Detroit's Near East Side, where the Robinson sisters were set to perform. Opal Jewel. Pearl was sanctified, but I take credit for bringing out the devil in her. She was in church every Sunday, singing it up to Jesus, but on Saturday nights, I'd twist her arm to come out with me to this joint called the Gemini. I'd play on her guilt by telling her I was going with or without her, and didn't she want to keep her only sister out of trouble? Worked every time, mostly because deep down I think she wanted it to work, but Sister Pearl would never admit that. The Gemini had an open mic hour with a live backing band, and that's how we got on. Pearl would refuse to say anything fun. For some reason, she hated the word baby. She thought it was too worldly or some nonsense, so that knocked out a lot of the Motown hits right there. And honey, this was 1969-1970 Detroit. I was trying to meet Mr. Barry Gordy. It was very reasonable that one day he would walk into the Gemini looking for his next starlets. And we're up there singing Christmas carols? But I always meant for it to be Pearl. I really did. She had the voice. I was just the backup. What I brought to it was the style. I tried to make her stand out, tried to teach her to sway a little bit with the beat, and I did her outfits. Mine was always the shorter, tighter, lower cut version of hers. Even though to tell you the truth, Pearl had a lot more to work with 
if you know what I'm saying. Howie Kelly. Christ, that one had a rack. You didn't know whether you were hypnotized by the voice or the tits. Pearl Wellmont. During the time we were singing at the Gemini, I was still in touch with Lawrence back in Alabama, and we had already promised ourselves to each other. I had no interest in getting ogled by the men in that filthy place. Most of them were married anyway, but I was working and saving money till it seemed right to move to Birmingham for good. And to be honest, I was also trying to keep Opal out of trouble. And by trouble, that's exactly the kind of trouble I mean. You would not believe how many of our old classmates, the girls from Mrs. Dennis's apartment, ended up in that situation with no husband. Opal never did have any friends and she looked more mature than she was. Without me to look out for her, she might have been susceptible to a certain kind of wicked attention. That sinning lifestyle can be seductive. So I tried to keep up with her as much as she'd let me. And if that meant wearing those outfits she made for Saturday nights, well, I'd humor it, long as I was covered enough. Nev Charles. Howie and I were sitting at a table right in front. It wasn't a big place, and every other inconspicuous spot was taken. We sat through a couple ho-hum acts, a guy struggling his way through Sam and Dave, and then the bassist and the drummer kicked in with Tissot with Love, of all songs and the Robinson girls came out. Howie Kelly, the Coca-Cola bottle and the straw. Opal Jewel, that night Pearl and I were wearing crushed velvet, gold crushed velvet, or maybe they lure, honey, I don't know, whichever one of those is the cheaper fabric. I'd made Pearl a jumpsuit out of it with the top that I tried to keep fitted so the people could see that she had something. And out of the same material, I'd cut myself a halter and shorts, and I took a brass chain from an old pocket watch I found at the Goodwill, and I shined it up nice and wrapped it around my skinny little waist like a belt, trying to create some kind of effect. Now, to serve with love was mid-tempo, but me being me, I'd still find a way to shake it, you know, so that right on beat, that chain would jingle like mad, as Nev would say. Howie Kelly. She had this deep ebony skin, so any colors looked dramatic on her. I'll give her that. And it was like music every time she moved. You just wanted to stick a tambourine in her hand and watch her go. Opal Jewel. For years, Pearl had adored to serve with love. I mean, everybody was crazy about the movie because Sidney Poitier was so damn fine. And the sentiment of it was very sweet and chaste. But don't let that sweetness fool you. That's a belter song, a big chance to show out. And Pearl used to beat it dead. You remember though that on the original track, Lulu doesn't have any backing vocals. So I had to make up my own part, get in where I fit in. And when I listened to that record, I realized that a big part of it, what gave it emotion and light and air was the strings. Now at the Gemini, there was obviously nobody with a damn violin in the house band. I figured, well, then that's my part. I'm the strings. Pearl would go loud and broad, just like Lulu, and I'd fill in high above her, 
floating real soft and pretty, like painting those letters in the sky. Nev Charles. It's really a sappy tune, but by the chorus, I was riveted. My God. And the thing besides her singing that I remember the most was her hair. It was blue-black and shiny and obviously fake, and it fell down to a midriff. She was very energetic and moved around a lot, and it would sort of shift around on her head. Opal Jewel, studying an old family photo. Ooh, child, early days of me and the wigs, looking like a vinyl record had melted on top of my head. Nev Charles. I remember watching her absolutely gobsmacked and thinking how mysterious and scrappy she was, this girl in the gold shorts and the bad wig making up her own part, this girl with the voice that flew over and through and around her sisters so strangely. Howie Kelly. At the end of it, I go through the whole rigmarole with Nev, me asking him, did you like her? This time his face looked different though, all lit up and excited. He didn't have to say a word. He was already gesturing toward the Coke bottle when Nev slapped my hand down and pointed to the straw. Nev Charles. She was alien and outcast. She was the difference I wanted. She was Thomas's girl on Kilimanjaro and she was the one. Opal was the one. Opal Jewel. After the set, Pearl and I went backstage to this tiny green room they had at the Gemini. Literally a green room. It had dingy green carpet and olive green walls and the air was funky green with a bad old man smell. I had just taken off my high heels and about 25 pounds of makeup when the manager of the place came in and right behind him was this troll in a suit, Howie Kelly. He was so damn short he was eye level with Pearl's chest and don't you know he kept his eyes locked there for those first couple minutes he started running his mouth. He was going on and on about how we were very special. We knocked his socks off blah blah blah. I thanked him and told Pearl to put on her jacket and cover up because who knows what kind of freaky thing he was after. Then he managed to get himself together and peel his eyes away from my sister's chest and he looked dead at me and he said something that made my heart jump. Do you have representation, sweetheart? Pearl Wellmont. We didn't know this man from Adam. He just came waltzing into the back of the house like he owned the place. And not to be prideful about it, but at the time it seemed suspicious to me that Mr. Kelly was telling us, as in the two of us, how good we sounded together on the song. But then he kept trying to get my sister alone. He could have been some kind of deviant, you know, a devil, a demon. And Opal was just standing there dumbstruck with a mouth dropped open, not saying a thing. I was compelled to speak up on behalf of our family. Now, I have read all my sister's interviews. I have them all here in these scrapbooks because despite our differences, I am proud of her. And I understand that she was hurt by what it was I said to the man. I have tried to explain to her so many times over the years that I didn't mean it in a bad way. I just wanted to know if he was on the up and up because people could be so cruel to Opal. 
In the moment, it seemed reasonable for me to make sure this wasn't some kind of sick joke. I just asked him, you know, are you kidding? Opal Jewel, five words that changed my whole life. Do you have representation, sweetheart? Obviously, all these years later, Howie Kelly is not among my favorite people on this earth. But that night, when he asked me that question and then fished out that official business card that said Rivington Records, New York City, darling, in my mind, I was losing it. On the inside, I was screaming. I was doing cartwheels down the center of the street. I was grabbing Howie by that beady cue ball head and pressing it into my own pitiful chest. All that goodness and joy was happening in my head and then Pearl almost ruined it. You must be kidding me, is what she said. I guess that was to ensure that all was right with the world, that she was always going to be the main attraction and that I was the freak at the sideshow. I'm grateful for what she said, really, because otherwise I would have had my nose too open. It was an ugly moment, but it brought my feet back down to the ground and got me ready and focused on grabbing that ring. I told my sister to shut the hell up, and I repeated those delicious words real slow to hear how they sounded rolling around in my mouth. Do I have representation? I said, and then... Calm as you please. Who wants to know? A book of many voices indeed. Thank you so much, Donnie, for that spirited reading. You can already tell it's going to make a fantastic audiobook. That was Donnie Walton reading exclusively for the Literary Salon. The final revival of Opal and Nev is published by Quirkus and is available now in all good bookshops. And if you want to support this rising star, then you should buy her book, preferably from an indie bookshop or from our shop on bookshop.org. And if you're enjoying our podcast, please like and rate them on your preferred podcast platform. Thanks for listening. Join us again soon.